Guys, do you know, if, if you're here for the first time, even if you believe Leeds is better than Sheffield, you're welcome, folks. You are welcome here in this place. You really, really are. And um, we're, Ben is one of our interns, and um, we're just praying for him and uh, <laughs> that he'll see the lights. And um, he was a student in Leeds. And that's why he says what he says, but we love him anyway. Folks, it's lovely to see if you're, if you're visiting, if you're checking us out online. My name's Tom. I'm the vicar. And um, this is a month of vision, which sounds really scary because you've got to come up with a vision. Because you're, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about today. And I'm going to share some thoughts on what that looks like. We're going to, be, we're going to stretch it out over a month so if you're thinking, man, I'd just love to get it over and done with, I've got bad news, folks. We're going to be looking at it over the next couple of weeks. Um, and today we're going to talk about church planting. Uh, and then the next couple of weeks we'll talk about our values and other bits and pieces that kind of, you know, who are we going to become? And that's what we're going to journey through the next couple of weeks. Vision is a really, um, I should say that on my sheet it says, at 25 minutes for this talk. I just want to manage your expectation now. We might go on slightly longer. Just to, and if, you're, if you've got your, if the chicken's on in the oven on a timer, let's pray now. <laughs> I'm joking. When I, was a, when I was a teenager, a long time ago, um, I was uh, invited to a youth group. I'm from a little place, um, born in a place called Warsaw which is just outside Birmingham. And if you listen to my accent when I say Birmingham, you can always tell, because you can just hear the way we say it. And uh, I grew up in a little, in the suburbs, and I was a fairly unhappy kind of teenager. I was never good as a teenager. You know, like teenagers are supposed to rebel, aren't they, and do, that's what I'm told. Um, that's what I hear, but I wasn't a very good teenager. I was a pretty unhappy kid. My mum and dad are amazing, especially if they're watching YouTube. Hello, you are amazing. They loved me. They did that. They were just amazing. But I hated school. I just hated it. And I grew up in my parents, Christians, and invited me, took me to their church. And um, the same kids that bullied me at school were at the same church, a little awkward. And so some friends were part of a different church said, would you like to come to our church? And I went and I joined this youth group where Sam, who's been leading worship today, his parents were there as leaders in their 20s. It feels like a long time ago now, although his dad hasn't changed at all, bizarrely. Um, and the moment that I walked in, there was something different. There was a feel about the place that was different. Now I could say it was the presence of God, but at the time I didn't have the language for that. There was a love and an acceptance and a grace poured out onto this particularly unhappy little brummy. And it felt like coming home. And it changed my life in many ways. So when people say, why do you do what you do? a large part of it is because somebody somewhere invited me not into their own lives, but, it, but reached out to me and invited me into the most amazing community. And then I invited my friends, and they invited their friends, and this youth group was about 120 people in a place that you've never heard of, in some place that you'll never, ever go. But it has changed countless 
countless lives because faithful people loved Jesus. It was like walking into an embassy. It was like walking into a place that was different. It was like total antithesis to my school experience, which was one of fear and of violence and anger. This was like walking into a place that was defined by love and of grace and of acceptance and of freedom. Folks, our call in this next season, I believe, is to be for the city. And one of the things we're to call to do is to plant embassies of hope. An embassy, you get an embassy when you have an ambassador. An am- ambassador is somebody who is fluent in one culture, belongs to the other. It's a place where you walk into an embassy. As I remember walking into the, Rus- into the British embassy in Moscow and seeing a picture of Her Majesty the Queen and thinking, oh, this is amazing, looking at the plugs and thinking they're normal plugs. I feel safe from the city outside. That's what happens when you walk into a place with God's presence. You sense the presence of God, and there's a sense of home. All of us, every human heart, is wired for home. Ever since our ancestors Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, we have been striving, longing to find home. And many of us fill it with all kinds of different stuff. But there is that moment when you encounter people, maybe in a park, wherever, maybe at work or wherever, who begin to describe what that is like. You encounter the presence of God and the love of Jesus, and it feels like you're coming home. Folks, that is my story. And that in many ways forms our core, mine and Clarissa's and our families for this season of our life as we lead this church. Our call as a church, I believe, in this next season as St. Thomas Cooks, also known as STC, is to embrace the fact that we are on the part of the hill, one of the hills in Sheffield that we're on, to be a church that is passionately for the city of Sheffield. We're going to pray for it. We're going to love it. And our call is to take what we have here and to plant it out and to share it in all different places around our city. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. We're thinking, folks, today, um, we're not to, we've been cruising through uh, Nehemiah, and uh, we're going to park our old friend Nehemiah because we've done him to death, and we'll, we'll revisit him again probably after Easter. We're going to go into a season of Lent, which is the, the kind of several weeks before Easter, and we're going to look at something different but right now, in the next, next couple of weeks, we're going to track with a man called Gideon, who again, folks, is in the Old Testament. Uh, we will look at the New Testament as well, but I think all scripture points to Jesus. That's what I'm thinking. And so we're going to track a little bit into to the book of Judges. We're going to look at a man called Gideon. And there's just a few things there that I think that, that might help us think about the times that we're in. And I want to love to read that to us, share a thought, going to talk a little bit about church planting. And then we're going to talk, set up a little bit over the next couple of weeks where I, is, I think we're going. So if you turn to Judges, I think they'll, they'll appear on the screen, and I'll read them out to us. Judges chapter 6, verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. 
They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is, what, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all the, your oppressors. I drove them out before you, and I gave you their land. I said to you, I'm the, God, I'm the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but the Lord is with us. Why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And I'm going to throw in verse 15 as well. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. We've talked on and off over the last couple of months in, with uh, cluster leaders, and we've talked about this as a church on and off about the subject of calling. What are we called to do? And as we've talked about before, um, calling, often when we think about calling, we think that's essentially about what, jo- what job am I going to do? But in Scripture, it inevitably is about who it is we are to become. We're made in the image of God. That's, we understand that from Genesis chapter 1. That we, and the, the Hebrew word is salem, and in the Greek we understand that to be icons. Part of our calling is to represent God. Part of our calling is to rule and to reign, to take a lead, to be creative, to bring leadership, to heal, to bring all the kinds of things that reflect God's nature and God's character. As a church, as we enter this season of vision, we're not just going to talk about the things I think that we should do, although that's helpful. I think we need to also address who is it that God wants us to become? What kind of character as a church family does God want us to be? I'm absolutely convinced that we are folks, a church family. We're not a business or an organization, although we have charitable status and we have to do things that keep us legal. Fundamentally, first and foremost, we are a family. And as a family, we have transferred our allegiance from the things of the world to Jesus Christ and declare him as Lord. We have become adopted 
as his children, Paul tells us. We are citizens of another place, citizens of heaven, Paul tells us. We are children of God who cry out in our hearts, cry with the Lord's Prayer, Abba, Father. We cry out to our God, who we call our Father. The people of God... By the time we get to the book of Judges, which is a a period of history sandwiched between Joshua, who's taken the people into promised land. Remember last year we looked at our good old friend Moses, and then a man called King Saul, and then a more famous man called King David, who has penned half of the Psalms. And there's a window of history called the period of the Judges. There were 12 Judges, and Gideon was the eighth. And if you're thinking, who the heck cares about that? When I talk to my wife sometimes about theological things, she has a glazed look on her eye. And what that means, folks, is this. It's just a little bit of theological geekery. It means there's a season in the life of the people of God where God's heart is that he would directly rule his people in a theocracy. You've heard of democracy. This is a theocracy where God would directly rule his people, but on one condition that they would keep close to him. They would follow him. And the reality is the land of Canaan where they now live is so attractive. The people of um, the land are really wealthy. The cities and the urban places are awesome. And the temple prostitutes at Baal are, well. So the people of God have been sucked into a different world. And as they've been brought into a different world, in a different context, they've assimilated to the culture. And they've withdrawn now to living in caves. It's a far cry from the absolute vision that that they had of an Israel, which would be a blessing to the nations. It seems like all that stuff has been consigned and confined to the past. And in some senses, as we, as exiles... We are exiles in the sense that ever since our Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, we've been longing to find home. There are chunks of the scriptures where the people of God are no longer in Israel, no longer in Jerusalem, desperately trying to find their way back home. We are exiles. What does that mean? It means we're surrounded by a culture that is either indifferent at best to Christianity or aggressively anti-Christianity. It means that if you are a parent like me and Clarissa and you've got young kids, you're having conversations with children that you never thought that you would have. And my own thing, when I was 10, our eldest is 10, I'm sure I spent most of my days riding my BMX and it had stunt nuts at the back. In 1989, it is the time of BMXs. Remember ET at the end, they kind of ride off in the BMX. was Was it a BMX or it was a chopper? Was it a chopper? Who remembers a chopper? Yeah, okay. Who remembers a BMX? Not so many. And then I had a racing bike. All right. Can remember going to visit my friend Jimmy's house who lived on the same estate as us. Um, this was pre-mobile phones. Long time pre. There was no tracking device, no app to see if I was safe. Safeguarding was a thing of the future. We'd go off and just return. I can't imagine that now. The goal seems to be to be safe and secure. And it's terrifying when you think of the conversations you have to have or we have with our youngest, our eldest, sorry, the youngest is three, she just watches Paw Patrol, with our eldest. 
about aspects of life that I wasn't even thinking about exploring until much later into my teenage years, even into my 20s. The world seems a scary place. It seems everything is changing. And at the age of 42, I look and say, I don't recognize, what about my parents' generation? It seems unrecognizable. Sociologists tell us that in the face of unprecedented cultural change, culture shifts either to the extreme left or to the extreme right. Look at what's happened in America. Look at what's happened in our own nation. You get the resurgence of nostalgia. Back to the good old days. How many war films are coming out now? How many people are reflecting back to the days of Churchill and days of great victorious Britain? And I'm not... I'm not trying to get political, and I realize when we step into politics, it doesn't go particularly well. But we can look across the pond to our friends in America and see a fragmented nation. And actually, we don't need to look so far at them. And we're not really in a position to throw stones, are we? Let's be brutally honest, folks. Look at our own situation. The extremities of the left and the right. And even in that, the pandemic, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, and even in the church is not immune. The level of aggression on social media between Christians who believe one thing and another thing. It's like, what is going on in this particular cultural moment? I tried to list in my mind this particular cultural moment. I tried to be clever like a speaker called John Mark Gomer, and I just got depressed. (laughs) When I just listed this kind of particular moment, I was thinking, man, what is going on here? But I know, if I'm honest, my own fear levels increase when I watch the news. Ukraine, Russia. That's not a good situation, folks. Or my own fear levels come when when I think about our own kids navigating life with all the complexities that I didn't have. And it seems to me that when the people of God in Judges chapter 6, they are living in caves. And it seems to me that the church is on a back foot. It no longer enjoys its privilege that it's had for centuries and centuries and centuries of Christendom. Just a few weeks ago, somebody in our church, Andrew Barr, sent us a picture and I a photo of the original rectory for the original vicar of St. Thomas Crooks. It was like from Downton Abbey. It had a place where you would, your horse-drawn carriage would ro- roll up and a massive driveway, tree-lined driveway. It's all, it's all terraced housing now, but it's like it is from another age, an age where you could get away with that, an age where the church was respected, an age where the church had something to say, part of society. I have a friend who is a vicar in the diocese from the Anglo-Catholic pers- uh, wing of the church, so he always wears his clerical shirt and a collar. And when he does, people shout out to him, he's a paedophile. Because that is the level of hatred and angst that's directed to the church. He's an amazing evangelist who loves Jesus. So he takes this as an opportunity to talk to them about God. But it shows that we're seen as homophobic or we're seen as aggressive or anti. The church is on the back foot. Fearful to say what we really think. It's almost like we are, can chime in, understand what it's like 
for the people of God. It seems like the, the good days were behind them. Even as our own church, we can look back at previous leaders, Robert Warren, Propovic, or, thank you. <laughs> or Mike Breen, and the days in the city and the Roxy. Oh, remember them? And they were beautiful days. I was there. Or Ponce Forge, great moves of the spirits. Or when Mick was here and we saw growth in families with Alan and Helen as students. And it can feel like it, God moved in the past. What about now? Because the people of God are drawn in the facing of fear to look over their shoulder and say, well, it was better in the past. Where is it now? And so there is happens, what happens in the book of Judges is a kind of cycle. They talk about a cycle. So it works like this, that people of God recognize that, 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 that things are not well. So they cry out to God. He hears them. He sends a prophet. They turn back to him. And then when they turn back to him and life's doing well, they forget they need God and then end up doing other stuff. And this goes through cycle after cycle after cycle. But as they are eking out an existence in the caves where everything they do is taken away and they're gripped by absolute fear. In verse 11, it says this, an angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Let's just stop for a moment and drill down. This particular moment is that is, um, Gideon is working for his dad. So he's at work. And so he's in his workplace. And an angel of the Lord appears. It's called a theophany. And the angel of the Lord speaks into this really depressing, like I think I've just depressed everybody in the room. And I think I'll, if you're online, if you're still watching online, I mean, you guys can just turn off. These guys can't. You know what I mean? You say, oh, it's a power cut. The internet's gone. Turn it off. Into that moment springs hope. Because what happens is, is the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Like something from the heart of God is released into the now situation that Gideon is facing. It is a prophetic word of what is to come. He is threshing wheat in a wine press. He's working in his father's business. Let's be, work is frustrated ever since the fall in Genesis. Work, we are created to work. Work is something that we're going to do when we go to glory, folks. We're not chilling on a beach because if you read Revelation, there's no sea anyway. We're going to work, and the, the people of God are called to work the land. It's part of the calling of the people. And so his calling is disrupted by the pervading fear of the time. He's unable to do the thing that he's asked to do, and so he's threshing wheat in a wine press. So you would thresh wheat outside, and the reason you'd thresh it outside is so the wind could blow away the chaff and the tats, which is the technical word. And as it blows away, you keep what's left behind. But he is terrified that he is going to be robbed. So out of fear, he's using a wine press, which is covered, because you don't want tack going into the wine. So as he's, he's, he's working, and as he's terrified, and he's fearful, 
the theophany appears, the angel appears and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What on earth is that? It is the prophetic word of the Lord. That God is speaking something over Gideon's life that he cannot see, something of the future. And as we track through the story of Gideon, we begin to see that is what works out. Verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did the Lord not bring us about of Egypt? It's a sense of you, you hear that God speaks in, but he doesn't believe it. And the Lord turns to him and says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? There is the reality that Gideon has very little to bring to the party. He just has a little bit of strength. God doesn't tell him, muster it up and look better than everybody else. Just take the little bit that you have and take it. Am I not sending you? It's a bit like God's call of Moses, the I am. I am sending you, God, the living God, who brought the very people from Egypt, the living God who can change radically situations. I am with you. The God who never reneges on his promises, the one who never changes, is sending this frightened, fearful man for such a time as this. Do you know, folks, this is the worst time for us to plant churches. Tell you why? Because you look around the room, there's a few less of us than there was pre-pandemic. It might be me. <laughs> I choose to think it's, pan it's, got, it's down to the pandemic. There are folks, for some reason, haven't tracked with us through the pandemic. They've stopped coming. They got out of the habit of coming to church. And so they've stopped coming. It's a season as a church where we're going through, we are going through some changes. As somebody kindly pointed out to me the other day, as I sent an email out in the week about Emily Stevenson, who will be moving on in a couple of weeks. Somebody said, it's a bit like number 10, the staff turnover at your place, which I found hugely encouraging. Then it's a season of change. There are cultural challenges. But yet it's the perfect time. Because I think God is asking us to do it. And it means we take what we have and we say, we're not going to rely anymore on our reputation. Do you know, we used to be well known, St. Thomas Crooks. Oh, that's the big church, isn't it? Do you know, that doesn't work well in the economy of faith. We can be drawn by a sense of nostalgia of what used to be. Or we can embrace the wisdom of G.K. Chesterton that said this, for things to stay the same, they have to change. Or we can embrace that the, the, the Lord is bringing opportunities for us to give away what we have, not hold on to it tightly. Not hold on to it tightly for a better day when the circumstances all work out. Where we've got more people, all the money's better. But that day is today. Because our culture is defined, I believe, by fear. All kinds of things happen. The pandemic has ravaged. But yet there is a spiritual hunger like I don't think we've encountered before. 
Our Alpha course is small, but the people are hungry to encounter Jesus. Spoke to a mate of mine the other week, he's a vicar on the south coast, and he said, you know, our Alpha course is amazing. He said, there are people literally coming to find the church because they want to know about Jesus. And from first, from the, from the off, he said, people want to know about Jesus. He said, we can't slow them down, they need to slow down. They want to get to the Holy Spirit far too quickly. They're really not sticking with the program. Folks, there are, we had Bishop Rick Thorpe here in September talking about church plants. There are nearly, there are church plants in most now major cities in England. God is sending out people all over the place to start new communities, embassies of hope in different towns and different cities across our nation. Now is the time, folks. God is doing something in our nation at this time. The church has been shaken through COVID. There's a calling back to the sense of the call and the core. Are we really up for this or are we just going to consume? Are we going to go for it or are we not going to go for it? I'm going off script now. I need to get back to it now. Thank you. In um, Isaiah 40, the prophet says, I've called you by name. When there is hope, folks, there was hope for Gideon because God stepped into his life and spoke to him through the theophany. There was hope for the people of God in exile because God says, I have called you by name. You're precious to him. That same calling is what the Apostle Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5.20 where he says, I'm an ambassador in the ministry of reconciliation to talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified. There is a time, folks, like this, like now. Church planting, it said that my hero, Timothy Keller, says it is the most effective form of evangelism. Because you're setting up a community of faith in a particular place who establish an embassy of the presence and kingdom of God. And in the presence and kingdom of God, lives are radically changed in his presence. So now is the time, folks, to let go what it is we've held on to for a long time and to give it back to him and say, Holy Spirit, where do you want us to go? Where do you want to send us? Which part of the city are we called to love into life? Which part of the church do you want to help us? Because, folks, I believe this, that we are called to be a church for the city. A couple of years ago, before we had kids, Clarissa and I were on holiday in Padstow in Cornwall. Or Padstein, if you know of it. Uh, Rick Stein, the famous chef, is there. And we, we, for some reason, we thought we'd go to his restaurant. This is pre-kids, folks, where they had a bit more income. Although at the time, we didn't think we had any money. What were we doing? <laughs> Honestly, the kids burn through it. Literally, no, they don't literally, because that would be weird. But. So, so for some reason, we decided to go to Rick Stein's restaurant. And for some reason, we thought we didn't need to book. <laughs> well, you do, about five months in advance. So we rocked up at his restaurant, and they're like, no, you can't come in. So, oh, what do we do? So we wandered around, and we found another restaurant. And embarrassingly, couldn't open the door, and I was there. Anyway, it, it was unlocked all the time, but it was, it was awkward. And so we sat down, and we're in a restaurant, lovely restaurant, and then discovered that the chef had worked for Rick Stein. Amazing food. And I had a moment. I, I think it was the Holy Spirit. I don't know, but, but I think it was because I thought, isn't this amazing that 
that this town, this tiny little place, not even a town, tiny little place has got those most amazing restaurants all around it. And most of them been trained by Rick Stein. And wouldn't it be amazing to, I mean, even then, was it 12 years ago? How, 13, 12, 12 years ago, 11 years ago. At the time thinking, wouldn't it be amazing to plant churches from here? Not franchises, folks. But, but churches where we send teams and the leaders go and they do what they're called to do and we bless and we support and we resource and we pray, but they go off and do it. Folks, we're into a new season where we're going to speak well of the diocese. And if you're not sure what a diocese is, that is a diocese is a load of Anglican churches in a particular area. We are half Anglican, half Baptist. This half Baptist, that's half Anglican. And we're part of that. But folks, we need to speak well of them. We need to honour them and love them. Because I think that's what the scriptures call us to do. And so in that, part of it is saying to the diocese, what would you like us to do? Not, you can have this, 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 and this. But to go open-handed and say, what would you like? And let's be brutally honest, over the last few years, we've had a tricky relationship with the diocese. Over the last 20 years. Not always our side, but it's in, in the words of Tony Blair, a new day has dawned, has it not? Both in terms of here, but also there. There's a desire to repair broken bridges. There's a, a desire to, to build relationship. There's a desire to learn. And you know, we've been given a lot, so the emphasis on us is to walk in humility. When you walk into a meeting and say, we're a really big church, you need to listen to us, generally people go, uh, no. So we need to be humble and open and teachable. And in the, with the Yorkshire Baptists, we've kind of been indifferent to them, but they're amazing. As Alan will testify, they just love relationship and they love having conversations and they love meetings and hanging out and warm hugs like Olaf in Frozen. That's a joke about the warm hugs. They're just very, they're lovely people. So folks, in 2022, we're going to plant a church in Furvale. And if you're on the balcony, uh, Gareth and Rachel, will you stand, please? Uh, this is Gareth, this is Rachel. They've been in Fervour for a long time, folks. How many years? Shout out. You need to lower your mask and I can hear. Nearly 10 years, okay. And um, uh, you can sit down now, thank you. <laughs> Gareth, if you're watching, I Gareth is shouting from the balcony, but, but he's all good. He's under control now. We've subdued him. And these guys, and there's other people. If you, uh, you, part, you live in Fervale, just raise, if you stand, we can see you. These guys are amazing. Uh, let's give these guys a round of applause. Um, let's give these, let's honor these people. And thank you so much. And the churches, we've been there, but we just feel that it's in this next season we need to say, you know, the most effective way of connecting that is a church that loves Fervale in Fervale. And to release Gareth, who is absolutely clearly called by Jesus to go release that. And we're called to fund it, and people have given to it generously and extravagantly. And you guys, we launched the Nehemiah Fund, £74,000 for church planting. Absolutely amazing. And so in the summer, Gareth will be up here in a couple of weeks talking more about that. But we feel that that's what the Lord's asking us to do, and we feel that's the right thing to do.
and send them off. My, I was talking to my daughter yesterday about church planting. She says, does that mean we'll never see them again? And I said, yes, we won't. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. But what we're saying is we release you. And we're going to love you. And we're going to pray for you, like thing. But the, the heart of our church is going to be a passionate community of prayer. We're going to set up, I'm not, I shouldn't be talking about this, this is the next couple of weeks, but we're going to set up a, um, a prayer room out there so we can pray through the night. And we're going to pray. Anyway, I'll talk about that another time. This is about church planting, but we need to pray about it a lot. And then, folks, we've been invited by the Diocese of Sheffield. Uh, it's very early stages, but to graft or graft, if you're from the south, which is essentially to send a team of people from our church to a church in Stannington called Christ Church Stannington. <laughs> And it's very early days. Let me be super clear. What we are not doing is we are not setting franchises of our church. Be super clear. Are we clapping there or we're not? What are we doing? Okay, we're clapping there. <laughs> so we're not setting up franchises, folks. We're working on the assumption that Gareth knows and the guys there, Becky, they know what's needed in Furvale better than we do because they live there. I live, on leaf, I live in a very leafy part. I, I'm not in no position to tell these guys how to do it down there. We can find the dollar. And we can cheer them on. And open doors and do our bit. And they're loved. And they're part of the family. But that's no control. We ain't going to control them. Or shape it. That's on them. Just to let you know, Gareth, in case you're wondering. But that's on them, guys. Folks, it's the same way with Christchurch Stannington. We're not going to take over. We're going to serve. We are going to give generously to pay for the 50% of the stipend. That's that we are called into a season, not just to, to give stuff away. If you're living in Stannington, don't rock up next week. Please, whatever you do, because you'll annoy them. <laughs> we, we're in a process and we need to do it well. And I know there are people in the room who are really excited about being part of that. And we will commission you and send you, and we're going to talk about what it's like to serve in a place that it is going to be different. There'll be some frustrations, but there are some, still some more negotiations to do. But folks, that is the two that, we're, that we know that are coming up in this next year. And then Luke Graham, our curate, uh, arrives in the, it, he arrives in the summer and he'll be here for a season and then he'll go somewhere. And the diocese have asked us about other local churches. Would we like to take them on? And I've said, yes, it'd be wonderful, but we don't have the people or the money or the time, but the Lord does. And he'll provide because it's for such a time as this. Because if we're grappling with fears, folks, about our kids, you should ensure as eggs is eggs, the people at the school gates are terrified. And we're called to go reach them and love them. Folks, we're going to change the way we do clusters and the church of churches and think about what it looks like to plant communities of hope in different ways around our city. Lay-led congregations. There's an organization within the Church of England called the Myriad Project. The heart of the Church of England is to plant 10,000 lay-led churches. There is a phenomenal move of the spirits, planting churches left, right, and center in one particular way. And then there are other ways in which God is doing something new. Don't listen to all the negative stories. God is on the move. 
have a friend who's working in Southeast Asia. The Lord is doing amazing things there, but it doesn't get on the news. If our diet of news is only what we watch, we will depress ourselves, but the Spirit is doing something new. And it's happening all around us. Folks, we're going to be in a season where we change loads of stuff in the life of our church. We're going to do it slowly. We're going to do it sensibly. We're going to do it in time. So you're not going to come in next week and find everything's changed. Ridiculous. But we are going to move forward, folks, so that our church becomes a church which is for the city. So that we begin to think about the workplace differently. That we begin to send out communities for the sake of our city to bring life to our city, that we become a church that is a resource church where we are always holding lightly everything we have on open palms. Do you know, I'd love to tell you, in this job, you sleep really well. Because there have been some, some moments where I've thought, but what if everybody... A few people have said, what if people leave? Yeah, what if they leave? What if they take their money? Yeah, they might take their money. And we and it might... We might call us for a season we're on our knees, calling out to the one who owns the cattle and a thousand hillsides. It will be a ride, folks. We may go bankrupt. <laughs> I'll have joined a vineyard church by then, so you'll be fine. You'll just leave. <laughs> I feel the call to Southern California. I really don't like the cold. I really do. <laughs> What will it mean? It'll mean we'll be sending people out. We need to reorganize our church. I can't wait. I love organization and I love detail, so I'm really excited about that bit. <laughs> Look, thanks, John. <laughs> oh, is that John Marsh? I recognize your lab. I just want to honor John Marsh. He's an amazing man. He works. He works. Um, folks, I'm totally off script now. This is dangerous. But he works for the Dice Sheffield and is doing the most amazing job. And pray for him because he's behind... I'm on YouTube. This could be... But he's a, a behind a lot of what the diocese are doing in trying to reach the city of Sheffield. So we must pray for that dear brother. And he's got the most amazing hair as well. So that's just worth a clap for that. <laughs> Folks, um, uh, it, it, we're going to reorganize our church. Can't wait. It's going to cost us a lot of money. Um, uh, we'll have to embrace pray, prayer. We'll have to embrace prayer as a way of life, not just something we tag on occasion. Tag on occasion, like we might have to pray through the night, like they did in the Old, like they did in the New Testament. Uh, we might have to rearrange our diaries so that prayer becomes a priority. Sorry, folks, but it's in the book. Uh, we might need to think about how we love our neighbours well. Uh, think about house churches, but that's for another time. Uh, we're going to learn to talk about. We're going to discuss difficult topics. There's a couple of elephants and things um, are, are in culture. We've got to talk about that because we've got to equip people better. And folks, um, this stuff will disrupt our settled way of life. Uh, I don't know why you're clapping, because in a few months you might not be. But anyway, there you go. There you go. There you go. Uh, folks, uh, it, it became clear to me pre-pandemic that we, had, we, we really sat in the same seats. And I noticed, began to notice that we, that we left um, our keys, our iPhones on the floor. Folks, that's the sign of a comfortable church. If you leave your car keys on the floor, um, we're comfortable. 
Folks, what we're about to step into is uncomfortable because we're going to say goodbye to people that we've sat next to for 20 years, maybe less, as they step into. It'll be a loss. Sandy Miller, the former vicar of HDB, who I love dearly, used to say every time we plant a church, it's joy but it's sorrow at the same time because we're saying goodbye to people. And for these plants to work, when we release you and send you, we release you and we send you. Because if people start to dribble back, because the kids' work's not as good where they are, the graphs won't work or the plants won't work. So when we're sending people, we're sending people. But you go with our love and our blessing and we'll pray like stink. Folks, why are we doing all this? Because in Jeremiah 29, the prophet says to the people of God who are desperately there in Babylon, they don't want to be there. They really don't want to be there. They don't like Babylon. It's, a, it's an offense to them. It's at the antithesis of the way of life of Jerusalem. And somebody's told them, I'm only going to be there for two years, so just hold on. And then Jeremiah says, no, you'll be there for 70 years. So he says, pray for the city that you found yourself in. Pray for its peace. Work for its prosperity. Love it deeply. Not worship it. We worship him. But we work for the city so that it might prosper. And if it prospers, we prosper. And we do that because um, a theologian called Augustine of Hippo talks about a city within a city. We live in this city, but we belong to the city that is to come. And in that city there is to come, there is no more COVID. There is no more cancer. There is no more racism. There is no more damage to the environment. And so we work for that kingdom which is to come, for the renewal of all things in this city for such a time as this. It will be an amazing ride. It will be terrifying. When we look back when we're older, we'll think, Lord... We did what you asked us to do. And the rest, folks, is up to him. Let's stand together.